Father, we thank you for all that you do for us uh, on a daily basis, for just the very breath we have to live, to um, just enjoy um, the creation uh, that you've given us. Uh, I pray that every day we'll be thankful for that. I pray that um, we'll be mindful of all that you do for us, um, and especially what you do for us concerning our salvation, Lord. Um, <clears throat> we thank you for Jesus Christ and all that he means for us. And I pray that uh, you'll be with all the different prayer requests that um, maybe didn't go mentioned tonight, but are on people's minds. Just work in each and every situation uh, according to your will, Lord. And I pray that we'll be grateful and thankful for um, how you work um, and that your name will be glorified through all of it. And I pray that as we study your word tonight, that um, <clears throat> you'll just give, her, give us a greater appreciation for all that you do for us through your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. At first, I wanted to speak from verses 25 through 29, but I thought maybe going back a few verses would help illuminate those verses a little bit more. And then when I got to thinking, I was like, well, maybe speaking from 18 to 25, maybe I need to go back in Hebrews a little bit more. I'd start from the beginning, but we're not starting from the beginning. We're just going to pick up in chapter 12, um, verse 18, um, and we'll read through verse 24. And then if we have time, which we probably won't, we'll talk a little bit about um, some stuff in 25 through 29. So, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the, <clears throat> the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, there's a lot there that we could talk about, and we could probably talk about this passage for days, days and days, maybe weeks. Uh, but what I think we notice first off is, though it's not explicitly mentioned, there are two mountains in view here. Um, in verses 18 through um, 21, we see this is a, a picture of Mount Sinai, all right, or Sinai, however you want to say it. All right? <clears throat> it's not explicitly mentioned, but we know by the references made this is Mount Sinai, all right? And then we, we see the other mountain mentioned, which is what? Mount Zion, okay? <clears throat> so we have a picture of two mountains. And really what we're going to go over is what do these mountains represent? What are they, um, what are they doing? 
um, and how are we to understand them and how do they relate to Jesus Christ, okay? So, we see in the description of the first mountain, Mount Sinai, a, a few descriptions. So, it cannot be touched, right? It is identified with blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest, sound of a trumpet, a voice whose words made the hearers beg. Not just ask. They were like, no, we're begging. Please do not let God speak to us. All right. <clears throat> so there was some kind of fear involved there, right? Um, so we also see that if even a beast touches this mountain, it shall be stoned. So it's not just people who couldn't go forward to this mountain. It was all creatures. No beast, no person is to go to this mountain. And this is all a reference to Exodus 19 and 20, um, where God is going to call Moses up to the mountain, and he's going to give the law to the people of Israel, to Moses, who would then mediate it to the people of Israel. <clears throat> so the people, the description of the people says that they beg, um, that the Lord doesn't speak to them any longer, but instead... They implored Moses to have all the interaction with God. They said, Moses, please, you go and speak to God. Because basically, they knew if we approach God, we're going to die. That's how serious this matter is. All right, they were scared to death, and rightfully so. No beast, no human, nothing could touch the mountain. And so terrifying was the experience that even Moses trembled. We see that here in verse 21. Even Moses said, I tremble with fear. So what's signif significant about this mountain? Any thoughts? Open it up if anybody wants to say anything. It's scary. But scary why? Okay. What do all those things represent? Who's on the mountain? God's presence is on the mountain. All right. God is so holy that no sinful person, no, um, no creature is able to approach him without being consumed. And we'll see that if we get to it later in chapter 12 of Hebrews, that God is a consuming fire. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, this mountain, Mount Sinai, was where God's presence was dwelling, hence the earthquakes, the trembling, the trumpet sounding. All these things are always representative of God's presence. We've been in Revelation a lot. Well, we've been in Revelation for a year and a half, I think, in Sunday school. And we've seen a lot of this description. Earthquakes, trembling, all this kind of thing. And it's always a picture of God's throne, God's presence. Um, so, that's what's significant about the mountain. The author of Hebrews is showing that the Old Covenant... And that's what this is a picture of. The Old Covenant was inadequate and uses Sinai as a contrast between the Old and New Covenants, between Moses and Christ, between law and gospel. So earlier in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, Moses is brought up in the author's uh, argument that Jesus is better. So if you don't know anything about Hebrews, Hebrews constantly speaks of Jesus being better. 
doesn't matter what you put up against Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better. Uh, he speaks a better word than the prophets spoke. He has, um, uh, he's better than Moses. So chapter 3, he's better than Moses as a builder of God's house. In chapter 4, he's better than the rest, the Sabbath that Israel experienced in Canaan. Okay, so he says, Jesus gives us a better rest. Get into the um, chapters 5, 6, 7, 8. Jesus is a better high priest than the high priest of the old covenant. He's a better sacrifice. Um, his covenant is better. And that's what we're building on here. And he's saying, Jesus' covenant is better. Okay, he's contrasting the old and the new covenants. He's contrasting Moses and Christ. He's contrasting between the law, the giving of the law, and the giving of the gospel. Okay? <clears throat> the fact that there was a barrier in place at the Mount, Mount Sinai, and later in the temple, if you guys know anything about the temple, not everybody was able to go into the Holy of Holies, right? I mean, not everybody was even able to go into other parts of the temple. It was just a certain set of the Israelites. It was the, Le the Levites, right? The priests. So there's, there are barriers in place between God and man. Um, <clears throat> that is what the Old Covenant shows us. It shows us that there's, there's some disconnect between God and man and some kind of atonement has to be made. That's why the sacrificial system was put in place. Um, and the sacrificial system, as the author of Hebrews says elsewhere, was a constant reminder to the people that they were sinful um, and that they always needed a sacrifice or, or atonement for their sin. It was never finally and fully paid until we get to the new covenant in Jesus Christ. So... <clears throat> Think of the precautions that were in place in the Old Covenant. You can't touch the ark, can't go in the Holy of Holies, can't go near the mountain. Our sin separates us from God. So we see that this mountain, Mount Sinai, is characterized by fear, or probably a better word would be terror. Um, terror. Uh, I know Vance has been talking about um, the fear of the Lord for a while, um, and it is right that we fear the Lord and there are different kinds of fear as he's been explaining but this kind of fear that we see is a fear of terror it's a terror of a sinful man approaching a holy God um, so that brings us to the other mountain what is the other mountain the other mountain is a mountain of joy it's not a mountain of fear or terror it's a mountain of joy and you see that in the descriptions that um, the author gives. He says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of angels. Of Angel of Abel. So, first thing. What what 
images or what thoughts come into your mind when you think of Mount Zion? The, the author says we come to Mount Zion. What is Mount Zion? Is that Jerusalem? Is that the earthly Jerusalem that he's speaking of right now? Any thoughts? I'll, I'll submit that it's not. Um, <clears throat> it's not because we get another description. As Sawyer said, it's the heavenly Jerusalem. Okay, all these descriptions. So Mount Zion, city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, they're all explaining the same thing. And then the other descriptions we have here are explaining a lot of the blessings and the benefits that we have as part of that city, part of that um, being part of Mount Zion. Okay. So Mount Zion, um, <clears throat> the description, let's see. I thought I was going to have something else to say about Mount Zion, but I don't. Um, look at the description, and we see a description of the city of the living God. So we're going to go through these one at a time. City of the living God. This is the city um, referenced in 11.10 and 16. So in Hebrews 11.10, it says, For he, um, this is, <clears throat> let's see. This is Abraham. So go back to verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Um, these are important words. He is receiving an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Um, so this city that he was actually looking for in faith was Mount Zion, was the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Um, and we get a whole description of all these people who are living by faith. Look at verse 16. Um, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All right. If all these people were looking for the earthly city of God, then eventually they would have found it. And that's kind of the argument that's made back in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews, saying if, if the people would have actually attained to that land promise, that, that promise of Canaan being their rest, then Joshua would have gotten there. But that's not how Scripture um, portrays this as happening. There's a psalm that says if Joshua would have given them rest, then they would have had it. They wouldn't have had to look for something to come later. All right. But as it is, they did not enter that rest at that time. They looked for a day when they will enter the Sabbath rest, the, the, the city of the living God, okay? So it's something that's forward-looking that was not attained by the saints of old, um, but it was something they looked forward to. So what other um, passages do we see 
speaking of the heavenly city. In Revelation 21, just starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So there's a city. And how is this city described? It's described as the New Jerusalem. It's described as coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, prepared as a bride for her husband. So that's interesting terminology, I think. So who, in this case, the city is the bride that is prepared and, and basically, if you want to use the building analogy, it's built for the husband, okay? So in essence, we're saying this city is the people of God. So, and it's these, the people of God is gonna be where God dwells eternally when the new heavens and the new earth are um, established. So, <clears throat> we could talk on that for a, a long time and probably have a lot of discussion on that. But, um, it's a great promise, I think, that when the author of Hebrews says, you have come to this city, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, he's saying, you've come into this kingdom that's being, being built by somebody else. And we'll see that later in Hebrews, um, that this temple, this city, you're, being, you're becoming part of. Not by anything that you've done to build this house, but by what Christ has done to build this house. So, something to look forward to. Um, the heavenly Jerusalem, we talked about that a little bit. Um, the earthly city of Jerusalem, if you remember Old Testament history, and even, I mean, history in general, the city of Jerusalem was constantly being attacked. Um, especially after the time of Solomon, where foreign armies were starting to come in and even um, there was so much turmoil within the kingly line that there were battles being fought all over the place. But, you know, throughout history, Jerusalem has always been a place that's been under attack. And it's not really been a lasting city throughout history. Um, so the New Jerusalem in contrast to that, it's so much better because it's going to be a forever city. It's a eternal city. Um, so heavenly here, though, denotes something that's better. 11.16 uses the word, um, I think we, we quoted it just a minute ago, um, that they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Um, so in this case, Jerusalem or heavenly Jerusalem should be seen as a better country, a better city than the earthly Jerusalem. 
So the threefold description of Mount Zion, city of God, heavenly Jerusalem, is meant to point believers to the ultimate reality and hope that we already have in Jesus Christ. So how does the author, I, I didn't point this out, but in verse 18, how does he start out? He says, for you what? You have, I'm sorry, not in verse 18, verse 22. You have not come in 18, but in 22 he says, but you what? Have come. Not you will be coming, not you came. He says, you have come. This is a present experience of all those who are in Jesus Christ. You have come to Mount Zion. It's yours. It is yours. Um, it's a great promise, and we'll see some of the benefits of being part of that um, city in these next couple verses. So, going on to um, more descriptions. Innumerable angels. Um, it says that they were in festal gatherings. How many people use that word, festival? You know, I don't. But it's basically just celebration. Uh, I think we all kind of get the idea that this is, these angels are celebrating. And what are they celebrating? They're celebrating the fact that Christ has mediated this covenant and he's bringing people into his fold. He's bringing people into his gathering. And we'll see that if you look at the next verse, uh, verse 23, it says, you've come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Now, the firstborn in um, ancient times were those who received a double inheritance. They received a greater blessing than any of the other children, just by vir virtue of being the firstborn. Now, did the firstborn children have any say-so in being the firstborn children? No. No. It's only by the grace of God that they're the firstborn. All right, in the same way, the firstborn here are enrolled in heaven not by anything that they've done but by what God has done for them um, and we go on and we say you've come to God the judge of all now if God if we're coming to God and he's the judge of all wouldn't we be coming to the one from Mount Sinai is this is this the same God we're talking about? Because we're talking about Mount Zion. Now we're talking about this is supposed to be a joyous experience, but we're coming to God. I thought the God that we knew was the one of Mount Sinai, where we should be terrified and we should be like, whoa, I don't want to go near that. So how does he say that we're coming to God, the judge of all? Um, it's only when we come to God through Jesus Christ, that we're able to come joyfully and confidently. Look at, um, <clears throat> see if I wrote some passages down here. Verse Hebrews 4.16 says, uh, I'm going to read verse 14, then get to 16. Since then we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then what's he say? He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's only because Jesus Christ is our high priest that we're able to approach this God, this judge of all. Because when he looks at us, he does not see us in our sin. Our, he doesn't look to our past and say, you are such a sinner. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. No. He looks at Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And that's what gives us confidence to approach him. So, again, look at 11, no, 10.22, I believe it is. Um, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water sprinkled clean so our hearts are sprinkled with what basically the blood of Christ alright and our bodies washed with pure water alright this all has to do with the sacrifice that Jesus accomplished for us um, so we can have full assurance of faith we can draw near to the throne of grace because of what Jesus has come has done. Um, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Who are these guys? So you have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Any thoughts on this one? I think they're they're just the saints who have gone before. I think it's the cloud of witnesses that's spoken of in, in 12.1 and, you know, we get the whole, um, the, the list of all of those who live by faith in chapter 11. I think that's, I think that's what we're, we're coming to. The, all these who have gone before us are going to be there, the city. They're part of the city too. Um, and that's what we've come to. Um, and now... I know we're, we're getting late, but this is the most important part. So, so just bear with me. Uh, verse 30, 24. This is what you've come to. If you've come to Mount Zion, you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of, Angel, uh, of Abel. So Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We've talked about that a little bit, kind of, but we know that Moses mediated the, the Old Covenant at Sinai. And the Old Covenant just was uh, <clears throat> a covenant of sacrifices, whereas the New Covenant was a covenant of the sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay, And because Jesus' sacrifice was a once-for-all sacrifice, it's so much better than the old one. And part of the reason the author of Hebrews is writing this is to say, you guys, stop trying to go after all these lesser things. Stop trying to go to the old way of doing things when the new and better way is here. Um, I know for some of us, we, we, have, we have guilt for some of the things we do. Maybe we, um, we look at, back at our old life sometimes and say, Man, those are some fun times. Were they really? I mean, I guess part of it may have been fun, but 
there's a new and better way that we're part of now that's guilt-free, that's um, really leads to salvation, and that's what Jesus has done. Jesus has led us into this better way. Why would we look back at these older, lesser, not as awesome things, right? So <clears throat> Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant. Now, this one is kind of interesting to me. It says, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why sprinkled blood? It's an interesting phrase, sprinkled blood. Not just blood, but sprinkled blood. What, how were the vessels of the temple consecrated? How were they initially consecrated? They were sprinkled with blood, weren't they? So the vessels used in worship in the Old Covenant sacrifice were sprinkled with the blood of various sacrifices, various animals. Well, now he's saying we've come to a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of, of Abel. I think part of the reason for saying this is saying, you know what, if you're in Christ, you've been sprinkled with the better blood that's going to enable you to offer better worship. Um, to and. We're not going to get there, but if I get a chance to speak again, we'll, we'll pick up on this. Um, but it's going to give you a, a, a better worship because of what Christ has done, how Christ's blood covers you and, and um, I guess enables you to, to do these things. So something else I wanted to know speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What, what does blood the blood of Abel speak. Does anybody recall Genesis? Yeah, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, is what God says. If the blood of Abel is speaking out, okay, saying there's some kind of, of uh, vengeance that has to be done on, on his part of something has to be done to Cain, then what's it saying about the blood of Christ? So this blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, what's it saying? It's saying that the blood of Christ was a willing sacrifice. It was a willing laying down for his brother. Now, Cain killed his brother, and... Um, it was also Jesus' brothers who killed him. Now, you might be thinking it was the Jews. The Jews killed Jesus. But what do we say when we sing, I can't remember the name of the song, when we sing the song about our sin, it was our sin that held him there. Held him where? To the cross. Our sin. Those of us who Jesus does call brothers, now, it's our sin. So we see in the Genesis account that the blood of Abel, um, his brother spilled his blood. In the same way, we were the cause, we were the, the reason why Christ's blood was spilled. His brothers were the reason. All right. So I just think that's an interesting comparison, and it makes me think, like, 
I can't blame this on anybody else. Like, Jesus Christ died because of the sin that I, um, I had to offer. And that's all I had to offer was my sin. Um, <clears throat> so it makes me, makes me think I should be so much more grateful for this sacrifice that he has made on my behalf. So, sprinkled blood. Let's see if there's anything else here. We'll, we'll come to a close pretty soon. <clears throat> so, I'm going to end with this. Just a question. To where have you come? To where have you come? Have you come to Mount Zion, where there's joy, where there's forgiveness of sins, where there's celebration, where there's reconciliation between yourself and God, where there's blessings all around, all graciously bestowed upon us by the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf? Or have you only come to Mount Sinai, where we stand condemned in the law, where there's terror, condemnation, despair, separation from God, and curses? Hebrews 12, 25 says, Do not refuse him who is speaking. This is the last Verses 25 through 29 is the last of five warning passages in Hebrews. And it picks up, the, the first one says, do not neglect Jesus. Do not neglect the word that Jesus is speaking. And here again, he, he bookends it and says, do not refuse him who is speaking. Do not refuse him who is speaking with his blood sacrifice, who, who made atonement for your sins, who went to the cross on your behalf. Do not refuse him. Do not refuse the sacrifice of Christ who made atonement for our sins, reconciling us to God. His word, his sacrifice, his covenant, his rest, they are all so much better than anything else you think you need. To those who have received Christ, note that you have received an unshakable kingdom, which is part of the next paragraph in Hebrews. And I hope, um, I hope we can go over these last few verses uh, at a future time because I'm really excited about these verses. There's some cool stuff in them that I really want to talk about. Um, but let's never forget what Christ has done for us and the promises that we have in him. We have come to Mount Zion, so let's live like it. Let's live like we're part of God's city that he's building. And to, to piggyback on what Vance was saying this morning is, you know, as far as the gospel is, we're all people of the gospel. We need the gospel every day. It's not just something that we, we, we need one time. It's something we need preached to us every day. We need to be reminded every day of the sacrifice that Christ um, paid for us, the, the gospel message that he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again from the de dead, he ascended to the Father because it's only in Christ that we have real life and that we have this hope of seeing the city in its fullness. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for um, the time we've had to read your word, to go through it a little bit and study more about you and what your son Jesus Christ has done for us, the great sacrifice, humbling himself and, and taking on the form of, of human flesh, Lord, that he didn't have to, but he chose to willingly um, and did it for all of his people to build a house for himself to present to the Father, Lord. I pray that we'll just always be grateful and that every day we'll live thankful and reminding, uh, being reminded that um, you are gracious to us in this Jesus.